Philippines. And services. From Nashville, Tennessee, Prince Albert, the world's most popular smoking tobacco, brings you the South's most popular program, the Grand Ole Opry. Here it is, the Bago Tunes podcast with Matt Munoz. Audio brought to you by Chain Cone Clark. Greetings, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the Baco Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Munoz. Today, I'm honored to have one of country music's most beloved and honored artists, Pam Tillis. The daughter of country music legend Mel Tillis, Pam built a rock-solid solo career on her own terms, racking up a string of best-selling albums and singles, not to mention unforgettable music videos during the big country 90s. It was a huge time for women in country music back then, too. Artists like Patti Loveless, Martina McBride, Kathy Matea, Shelby Lynn, Leanne Walmack, and of course the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, were producing timeless music while opening doors and creating opportunities for women to shine. Today, Pam Tillis is busy as ever on the road with fellow queen of country music, Lori Morgan, and rolling into the historic Bakersfield Fox Theater on March 18th as part of the Grits and Glamour Tour. We'll be sharing some musical highlights from her career, and she has some great stories. It's not every day you get a chance to speak with country music royalty like this, so here she is. It's Pam Tillis on the Bako Tunes Podcast. The whole concept of the American honky-tonk is something that artists today, especially a lot of young artists, they romanticize about how it was. They seem to be disappearing from cities and towns that were known for honky-tonks. You know, one of the last ones that we had here, Trouts, it got sold and then it, you know, it burnt down and now it's just a parking lot. And it was known for, you know, a lot of artists coming through. You know, you were able to experience that as a developing artist during kind of like that golden era of what we, when we romanticize about what it must've been like performing a honky tonks, where do you suggest young artists go to get a proper honky tonk education these days? Because honky tonk is the foundation of country music. Yes, yeah, you know, this is an interesting conversation. Um, I think some pockets of Texas, you can find that kind of culture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but some, it's interesting. Some of the bigger clubs, like there's, to me, there's a little bit different a club and a honky-tonk, too. Some of the clubs, the country clubs, where they'll be, and those are rare, too, but they will play as much pop and hardcore, you know, rap, and it's very, very diverse. They'll have a band come out and play country, and they'll have the up-and-coming artist, and then they'll have a DJ, and they're playing dance music, and that's real common. But, you know, Texas might have some vestiges of maybe some in Colorado, um why there i can't tell you um and then you know there's a small honky-tonk movement here it's small um you know believe it or not the vfw is a big place i went in the vfw in east nashville and it for the vibe all the people look like they did at the troubadour in 1975 to me and i was really happy about it nice (laughs) and people were on the dance floor dancing to this classic country And all the girls were dressed in their little vintage clothes, and they looked like they had just discovered the wheel. Yeah. And I was so happy because it was all new, and it was so classic. And uh, speaking of Bakersfield, uh, one of the bands that played, there's a a player, and I'm going to draw a blank on his name, but he's actually from Scotland. Mm -hmm. And he plays with Susie Boggess now, but he was playing with a band. And he was doing the best. What what was the the great sign man with Buck? Was it Don Don, Don Rich? Uh, 
And he was doing the classic Don Rich sound. I'm like, it's alive right here, right now, tonight in Nashville, Tennessee, down on Gallatin Road at the VFW. They get it. Yeah. And um, you just have to find little pockets, you know. You just got to seek it out. There's probably a honky-tonk in New York City that I don't know about. <laughs> yeah, Los Angeles, you know, d- during the, the 60s in through the 80s, you know, you had the Palomino, the Crazy Horse, and, um, you know, there's I some places. The crazy Horse, Golden, Golden. I, I, I bet you did, yeah. And, you know, we, we, we would see those in movies. You saw like every which way but loose and, you know, yeah. you know, over here. So that was, I mean, and, and now in Los Angeles, like you were talking about the, um, the kind of the retro style that the young people are really gravitating to. It seems to be growing. You want to keep those traditions alive. When you just mentioned Baker, so you mentioned Buck. Were you friends with Buck and Merle back in those days? Well, it's really funny. I do have a little bit of a, you know, a crossing of, of paths that I'm real happy about. I played there at his place, uh, in the in the early days a few times anyway but one time you know he invited me to come over to the station and just to go through the station with him mm-hmm. and he was showing me different memorabilia and everything but he had told me at the time that um this is hilarious he said you know all these great songs that buck owens wrote but he's he just thought cleopatra queen of denial was the greatest song he said that's my favorite video and my favorite <laughs> song on radio right now so it's <laughs> yes. like hey and the, you know, I was like, that's kind of funny because it's kind of a, a novelty thing, but he loved it. And um, and uh, he was just so great, and, and that was really sweet. And then uh, a few years later, I had the opportunity to do several shows opening for Merle Haggard. And Mr. Haggard was so nice to me. And it's like, it was just great. I mean, even though... Maybe some people will go, oh, well, you're a tillish, you know, maybe that's, there's that built in. And I think some of it, you know, they were, they had a great respect for dad and everything. And, mm-hmm. But it was more like, oh, she's carrying on the family tradition and she's good too, you know, she's doing her, she's doing her work. She's doing her homework. Made me feel like they respected me for who I was. I recorded a song of his, uh, Silver Wings for an Arista tribute to Oh, it was just, I can't remember the name of the album, yeah. but it was Arista Sings Haggard. Oh, and I did yeah. Silver Wings, and he loved my version, which was, you know, like, okay, I could die now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he loved my version. He says, you did a better job of that than me. And I'm like, well, just knock me down with a feather. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was a really uh, nice encounter with him. I just, uh, it was just super nice. I went visited his bus one time and his wife and everything. But, but also, one time he... You know, he wasn't so uppity. He came and sat on my bus, you know, which was really nice. He came and visited me, you know, because the buses will be all parked at mm-hmm. the venue and everything. And sometimes you get around to visit with each other and sometimes you don't. But I just thought that was super, super nice. Of him. He oh, did, he yeah. Loved him. He yeah, he was, he was a really very sweet man. I got to interview him once. We were on the phone for 10 minutes and it was like we were old friends. That's how warm. No, he really was very sweet. And I'll tell you one more Haggard story. Yes, please. I, my husband, um, his daddy uh, is a legendary fiddle player. He's in the Musicians Hall of Fame. His name's Buddy Spiker. And they used mm-hmm. to have a family band that played down on Lower Broad. And one night... Um, Merle Haggard came in, and he sat in with their family band, and he was just so happy to play, and he was so happy to be, it was a small crowd, and it was like he was happy that 
he was just getting to sit in and there weren't a million people in there pulling on him and everything. And he told them after he got off stage, he goes, you boys don't know how lucky you are. You know, just because mm-hmm. they could just play music for the love of it. And sometimes when you become a star and a legend, there's all this other stuff baggage that goes with it. And I just thought that was, he just loved music. You know, he I just loved that. I'm sure he could feel that from you. That's why he was drawn. It was so he was so comfortable around you. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. just get that vibe of of uh, other musicians. I'm so sure yeah. of that. You know, I just want to list off some of my favorite Pantilla songs, and one of them, of course, is Cleopatra Queen of Denial. Uh, these are like signature tunes of a of such a great era. You know, the '90s country. You got Shake the Sugar Tree, Mi Vida Loca. I was looking at that video again today, and then when you start <laughs> out, Ihola, and I was like, yes. Ihola! Yeah, si tengo suerte quizás. It's just a flat. Yeah, they'll have it fixed in no time and I'll be home soon. Okay. I love you too. Don't worry about me. It's just mi vida loca. Mi vida loca. Yes. Um, <laughs> don't, don't tell me what to do. And then you had a lot of fun tunes. You had, you know, Betty's got a bass boat. I mean, when I think of the biggest era of country music in the nineties, when you didn't even necessarily have to be a country music fan that was following artists, uh, as a, you know, as a hardcore fan, you just knew these artists because the formats weren't so, so segregated as they were. And I worked in a music right. store and you would get People from all demographics, you would get your rap CD, but you would get like a the Pam Tillis CD in there. There was so many crossover of fan bases. It was such a huge moment. And when you try to to tell people, you bring up names like Pam Tillis and um, Lori Morgan, the memories start flowing out. They start dropping out the songs that they knew. Maybe it was Memphis has to be one of the best shared, you know, title choruses in popular music. When that Once that part comes on, Everybody's going to sing it out loud. You're just waiting for the buildup. doesn't matter where you're at. If you're at the supermarket, somebody's going to start singing, maybe it was Memphis. I mean, like these songs of the time are so classic. But, you know, what are some of your best memories from that big 90s stretch? Well, since you mentioned Memphis, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story that comes to mind. And you mentioned that period that you couldn't find on, on Wikipedia. And I was in Nashville doing kind of paid dues for about 14 years. You know, I started playing the writer's night at at the exit when I was 16 and I didn't have a hit until I was 31, which is like 200 in showbiz years. Uh. I finally broke through with don't tell me what to do. But so I'd had four singles out and there was good momentum, but you still, you know, you're still on your first album. You got a long way to go to be what you'd call an established artist. Right. And, and that first album, if you make a misstep with any of your singles, you can just end up back at the drawing board or, or mm. worse or just out of a career. And so, you know, uh, every single was mega important on that first record. So maybe it was Memphis came out and I can remember I was on Harding Place in Nashville and I pulled up at a light and I just happened to look over at the car next to me. I don't think I had my radio on, but the lady next to me 
She sure did. I looked at her and I noticed she had her head just thrown back. She was obviously singing at the top of her lungs. And then as I looked a little bit closer, I could make out the words, maybe it was Memphis. And I I'm went, telling you. <laughs> and it was great. And I'm like, oh, boy, I, I think I might have made my mark. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, what an iconic moment for, for, yeah, for music, she, for country music. Yeah, she, was, yeah, she was feeling it. So I'm like, okay, this, this, one, might, this one might work. Maybe it was Memphis. Maybe it was other summer nights. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was me, but it sure felt right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, you know, when you talk about the hits, but then you had album cuts, you know, that they, they take the listeners on a journey. Break time. We'll be back. It's the Baco Tunes podcast with Matt Munoz. If you're injured in an accident, you need a team who knows the law, a team respected by our community and the legal industry. A team with a winning history in Kern County and beyond. Chain Cone Clark, the team you need when it matters most. You know, I was listening to uh, Melancholy Child off of Put Yourself in My Place. It's like, like a Irish style. Uh, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. You can go on YouTube. You can see, like I said, you can see a stripped down version of it too with you playing with a fiddle player and another guitar player and you're on guitar. It's funny you mentioned that song because that was one that was never a single. Somebody will still yell that title out to me when I, you know, sometimes I'll take requests and it's like, wow, that's pretty cool when you get an album cut request, you know, 30 something years later. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm about to rework that for my, sh I'm going to put that back in the show and I'm really excited about it. And I feel like I've learned some things musically and I've had some, uh, well, we had a, a kind of a Celtic sound and instrumental in our Christmas show. And, and, and I love playing an instrumental. I don't consider myself a fabulous guitar player, but this, this one, I could really feel it and I could pull it off in a convincing way. That Celtic uh, Christmas, mm -hmm. uh, it went over gangbusters and I'm like, and now I'm going to, I'm, I'm re-emboldened to, uh, to, to dust off Melancholy Town, breathe some new life into it this year. So when a little crazy No, it's a it's a fantastic tune. You would think that you know today, if somebody tried, if an artist today tried to do something like that, it would be considered oh, you know, like you're you're taking a real big artistic chance. But listening to it on your record, it just sounds very natural. It's very sounds very seamless as far as like Pam Tillis's album is going to have your traditional country, and she's going to have a song that has some little Celtic flair to it. And I wish more artists would actually do stuff like that, which today would be considered well, taking a chance. Well, you know, it's interesting. I felt too like the early 90s, there was a, a lot of diversity at country radio and there were people getting record deals. They would get record deals now in Americana. They didn't have Americana format. Now that stuff all exists over at Americana and folk. Mm -hmm. But I but I love folk country. Uh, I love Nancy Griffith and I love Cheryl Wheeler and you know, Kathy Mateo was making some great records and Chapin, you know, had come from the Northeast mm -hmm. and had you know, a lot of that sound. And I always 
you know, because growing up too, I loved Dan Fogelberg, and there was, you know, I liked I liked folk music. I didn't know all the people in that genre and some of the big superstars, but yeah. And to me, my whole first album, I always said I wanted to make an album that was my roots, and so a lot of it was some classic sound of country. But I considered my roots to be folky too. Mm-hmm. You know, even in Daddy's era, there was the Kingston Trio mm-hmm. had been out. Daddy started writing on the heels of uh, Bob Dylan was huge. Even my dad, some of the country music of his era was folk, very folk influenced. And then the bluegrass was just another little offshoot. I mean, uh, it had bluegrass elements. My record did, and yeah, uh, and the and then the the Celtic thing. We have Scotch Irish mm-hmm. English back there, and the genealogy, and so it just seemed really honest. Did you do some touring in Ireland and UK? I saw that there was a report. I think from two thousand nine. Yeah, that was a good tour. The pop, the pop country wasn't as just not much of a of a thing over there. And my mm-hmm. albums got a little bit more pop country until until I did my Tilla Sings Tillis album, and that kind of brought me back a little bit more. Even though that album is kind of all over the map mm-hmm. stylistically, I mean, there's a lot of elements in that one too. But and then I came back, and Rhinestone was really a return. To that more country pure sound mm-hmm. I think. Oh, thank and you. i'm not even sure that record is on spotify it's not and i don't know if you've heard that record but i would love to for you to hear it because i am very proud of it release them on vinyl because that's what yeah. that's what people want <laughs> you got a wealth of material to, to re-release on vinyl yeah that's yeah. exactly. Well, my new record is on vinyl. Oh, excellent. Yeah. You know, talking about songs that, that suit you as an artist, because you're a songwriter and you also, you know, I'm sure, you know, people are pitching songs to you all the time to try to cover. Um, do you find yourself approving songs that are pitched to you more or do you give a lot of thumbs down? Because I'm sure you have to find one that's going to match uh, Pam Tillis. Uh, no, I'm really hard on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I that's really good. am. Cause you got to live with them. There's, you know, and my feeling is there's a lot of good songs. Mm-hmm. But you kind of don't want a good song. You want a great song. Yeah. The the Nepo Baby label, because you were talking about, oh, you know, when people say, oh, that that's that's Mel's daughter. You know, recently that label, the Nepo Baby label, has been tossed around a lot at kids of famous parents. You know, oh, did, yeah. did did being the daughter of uh, Mel Tillis make it harder for you to be taken seriously? I'm sure it did. You kind of you kind of tapped into that. But, you know, what was that journey like to kind of show them, hey, I'm I'm my own person here. That's my dad, but you, know, you got to so check me out. There, I went through a, a few years of that. I did. And and it would be disheartening at times because you do a show and you pour your heart into it and you come off stage and somebody would say, so nice to meet you. We just love your daddy. And they wouldn't say crap about the show. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, who did you come here expecting to see? I wouldn't say that. I had to develop very thick skin about it. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, after I did a lot of self, you know, inner work, I could put it into perspective and take take the people that weren't sensitive enough to, you know, to think, oh, she might care what you think of her, too. Mm. Um, just put that into perspective. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I always say there's nothing, there's no remedy for that, like you're having your own success. And until you earn that success you are going to deal with that, you know, but after I had a few hit records and got known for doing a, 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 a great live show and everything, people will, you know, every now and then I'll engage with them and it'll be more about dad than me. And, and I'm okay with that. And at this point in my career, I'm at peace with that because 
they just had a connection with him and that's their time and their era. And now I can just be proud of it and, and own that leg. You know, that's, that's my, that's the legacy that he left for me too. And so, um, I, I, you know, it's a lot easier for me now that I've had my own success. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure he's very proud of you. I mean, did you have a little bit of bumping heads, but also those moments of where you said, Hey, Pam, I'm really proud of you. Oh no, no, he was, no, he was very, uh, both, I guess, to both of those questions. <laughs> yes. You know, for a while I went off on a tangent. I was doing pop and rock and everything. And he's like, where did I go wrong? You know? <laughs> I just had to go off and had to explore and find myself. And, mm-hmm. and, and I still love all types of music. I listen to everything. I have little threads of all kinds of things mixed into my own music. And that's okay, you know. Yeah. I, I'm a product of a different generation. I have different influences than my dad did. We did the song together called uh, Waiting on the Wind. And one of the lines mm-hmm. is, I gave you roots, I gave you wings. So I can say that that's a fair statement. He, he gave me wonderful musical roots. And he then he realized at a certain point, hey, she's gonna she's gonna either do it or make it or not make it on her own. And and that and then and then at the end of the day, you know, your parents still loves you. <laughs> yeah. Whether you yeah. make it or not, you know. You know, well let me let me just at, talk to you about your dad real quick. Growing up when we watched T V, you variety shows and there would always be like People that were across the board, you knew who Johnny Cash was, you knew uh, maybe uh, another, oh, Glenn Campbell and Mel Tillis, because you saw him in movies, you saw him on shows, and he was known as much for his songs as he was for during interviews for his stammer. And you always thought of Mel, Mel Tillis as the guy who could sing country music, he was a country star, but he was also the guy who stammered on stage. And so I've seen classic interviews where he took the jokes in stride, and he had friends who were sensitive to it at the time of a show appearance. There's a, an interview I saw yesterday with uh, Roy Clark and Glenn Campbell. Your dad's in the middle. Roy Clark was like, yeah, you know, I know I joke a lot with my friend Mel here. And Glenn Campbell kind of jumped in and was also, also the same way. Hey, there are people out there doing some great things, and just because they have a stammer doesn't mean that they can't do it. You know, a lot of people have stammers. I mean, they even talk about President Joe Biden, and they learn to to work and live with it. Uh, you know, how did your dad deal with it? Obviously, he went around it, and he became who he is. He's Mel Tills. But that issue um, with the stammer, how was that with him? Yeah, you know, he didn't actually get around it. He went with it. Mm-hmm. I actually talk about this on stage. Um, Minnie Pearl was a mentor to Dad, and uh, Dad was in her band. She featured him on a song, and and another musician in her band was somebody named Roger Miller. Oh yes, Daddy would sing a song, and then Roger Miller would say thank you to the audience for Daddy. <laughs> Daddy was so shy when we when Daddy first came to Nashville, he could barely talk. Mm. Like this is what. I had to call up an operator to place a long distance phone call, and my mom would have to do those calls for him. He couldn't place a phone call. And he also got turned down, you know, initially by the record labels. They said, we don't need a stuttering singer. Mm. But but everybody knew he had a great sense of humor. He had charisma in Nashville. He was well-loved, and he was on fire as a songwriter. But anyway, so he playing in Minnie Pearl's band, and he'd sing. Roger Miller thanked the audience. And Miss Minnie, uh, Mrs. Cannon, pulled him aside eventually. She said, what, what you know, what's going on here? What's happening with this? Why, why are you letting Roger do all the talking? And, and she said, uh, if you're going to learn to be an entertainer, you're going to have to learn to talk to the people. And he said, I can't. This is the way I, the story was relayed to me. Mm-hmm. He says, I, I can't do that. And she says, oh, yes, you can. 
And she said, and don't worry about it. They won't ever laugh at you. They'll laugh with you. And the world loves somebody that knows how to have a good laugh at themselves. That turned it all around. And he started kind of making fun of himself because let's look at it this way. He was a great singer, Mm -hmm. a great songwriter, and a good looking man. (laughs) And so the fact that this little chink in his armor endeared him to people. Yeah. And he made fun of himself. He was like, you know, you know how Dolly will make fun of how tacky she is. Yeah. There's a genius in that because it brings people mm-hmm. down to everybody else's, eye, you know, eye level and it makes them relatable. And uh, of course, he sometimes he, he might have overdid it a bit, you know, with it. That's between you and me. Sometimes he would lean on it. But it became part of his comic timing. And then once he once it became part of his timing. That was where the real genius came in. And then he he won so many comedian awards on top of all those other things. This is in another era, so you're too young to remember this. But he won many, many, many awards as a comedian. And who's doing that now? (laughs) Think of anybody anybody comparable that sings their ass off and then turns around and they're like Chris Rock. (laughs) Not a good comparison, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, I do. Not not that many people. But the funny thing is, is yes, every now and then there would be, you know, your sourpuss that would come up to him or come up to me and go, he doesn't really stutter, does he? And I'm like, that now that would be really tacky. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where the tackiness would come in, is if you put it on. That'd be like walking around and saying, I'm a piano player. I can be the next Stevie Wonder if I pretend I'm blind. <laughs> yeah. But people would think that he was making it up. Mm. But the flip side of it, that is, and I'll just end with this mm-hmm. on this on this part of Daddy's situation, because we're really proud of this. Yeah. I can't tell you, and I know I can't speak for him, but for me, I can't tell you how many stutterers come up to me in the last, you know, several decades of my career with tears in their eyes mm. and said how much daddy's light meant to them. Yeah. How uh, much yeah. fired them to just get on with it. Just get on with your life. Mm-hmm. And um, and he became the spokesperson for the Stuttering Foundation. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so he turned, uh, he definitely turned, made lemon, lemonade out of the lemon. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, yes, and thank you so much for that. Now, let's bring it back to you. You've done some acting. You did L.A. Law, did, uh, Nashville, and then most recently <laughs> you were on uh, RuPaul's uh, Drag Race. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, that was a few years ago, but that was oh, hilarious. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. Where they're saying it was like uh, Willem versus Jiggy Caliente uh, doing Mi Vida Loca, the lip sync battle, and I could see you there just kind of you know, looking and grinning, and then you put the rose in your mouth across. You know, oh my gosh. How, how was that? <laughs> it was so fun. It was so fun. You, you know, when you write a song, you have no idea where it's going to take you. <laughs> and I've got some other stories I could tell you about that particular song and that idea. But um, yeah, and then uh, there was recently a, co- uh, a kind of a comedy uh, on um, a Crackle. It's a streaming service, and it's called The Fairwood. And uh that was fun to do, but yeah, I've uh, done a little bit of acting and mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed it. And um, you want to do some more? You know, I would. Acting takes a lot of time, and there's a lot of downtime. Like you can spend. I was just in the. Oh, I want to say I was in the last Bow Bridges movie too. That was kind of cool. I'm drawing a blank on the name of that one. You'd Ooh. have to look it up. Okay. But yes. yeah, it just takes a lot of time, and it's really hard to pull myself away from part of having your own band is you got to keep them working mm. your own bus and band you got to 
you know, reworking. So um, yeah. music is my love, but but I'm open to offers. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, you're you're great in all the other ones and the, even the even the bit parts, you know, because of course we automatically see you're like that's Pam Tillis. So we're gonna say that's Pam Tillis first before she is the character in whatever show she might be portraying. Yeah. But uh, I think that's great. I think that's great. And just like you know, much like your dad, I mean, we saw him and you know, pop yeah, out the movies. Yeah, it was still Pam Tillis, right? right yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the tour. Uh, Grits and Glamour with Lori Morgan, uh, you know, another queen of country like yourself. Um, whose idea was it to put this package together? Well, my husband and I had been talking about it and, um, you know, putting a, a package together because I'd just been touring, you know, solo all the time. He said, mm-hmm. we need to put a co-bill together. And just the timing was funny because, you know, not too long after we'd kind of been really thinking about that and who would be great and what that would look like. I, we, I had to play the Opry. I was on the side of the stage, and, you know, you walk out, and you stand on the side of the stage, and get ready to go on, and it's like, oh, that's Lori Morgan. Lori Morgan was on, and she was great, and she, she just had charisma, and I hadn't seen her in years. We'd worked together briefly in the, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. We were on a tour called Craft Women a Song. I don't know, about a dozen shows, but we really didn't get to know each other because we all were on this we all had our own bands. We all had our own. Everybody was living own. their own lives with their, their, their Everybody bands. Everybody had their own bus. She had all kinds of tabloid romances and yeah. everything. With, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, and, and life was crazy. It was me, Carlene Carter, and Lori. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did not get to know each other. She was in a much different headspace, too. And I guess I was, too, probably. Yeah. And, we, and we all felt under immense pressure that part of our career was like a pressure cooker. And so you felt extra competitive cut to a decade later and um or more we said let's came off stage and we said hey it's so good to see you you know but would you be would you be in having lunch and let's get together and hang out and we went to lunch and we told told her our idea and it's funny because uh, Lori later told me that her manager she said after the meeting and we told her what we wanted to do Debbie said to Lori, she said, he said, it's too good to be true. It'll never happen. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it was, but it, we did make it happen. And we've been touring now, gosh, 12 years on and off, 12 years. Yeah. I mean, it's been really successful. And I'll be honest, in the early part, the first couple of years were hard. I think it was hard for her and it was a little hard for me. Like we love singing together, but it was everything else. You've got two artists with very different ideas of pacing and just how you want the energy of the show, how you want it to flow. And then, you know, we're used to just being the only one talking up there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, side comment from a band member. But when you all of a sudden have two artists on stage at the same time, and part of the show is the dialogue, that's like writing a play. <laughs> and we really have to find our way. And there were times in the early days you know, she'd piss me off or I'd step on her or whatever. And we wouldn't, wasn't malicious, but we just couldn't find our rhythm together. And then at a certain point, I don't know, something just clicked and just kind of fell in. It's like we just figured out there's Lori Morgan and there's Pam Tillis and then there's Lori Morgan and Pam Tillis together. And that's Mm -hmm. a whole different thing. Yeah. And it's really, really fun and we love it. Do you whisper my name just to bring a little comfort to you? Oh, do you? 
thinking I'm the biggest mistake you ever made Honey, I do ya And if just by snapping your fingers You could snap them fingers and make it all go away Honey, now would ya Do you miss me when I'm gone But sometimes wish that I'd stay gone A little bit long You're both best-selling, co-headlining, country divas, one stage. I could just imagine, you know, picking a set list because you guys have so many hits. It's really hard. And we, you know, we every now and then we'll shake it up a little bit. And But yeah, we had to sit down and sit in the living room floor and spread out all our spreadsheets and <laughs> turn on the turn on the boom box and go, okay, what stays and what goes? And, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> Oh, that, but well, that that must be a treat for fans uh, because you know they're going to see both at your best. You know, what kind of live show can fans expect when you're when you're here in Bakersfield at the Fox Theater? It's a little bit of country film and Louise. <laughs> <laughs> We're just real people. We're real women. You know, Lori and I talk about it. There's like you know, I'll call her up and on the afternoon, what are you doing? And she says, Oh, I just. She says, I'm just doing all the laundry i gotta get all the laundry done before we get on the bus again i go yeah well i just took the dogs to the vet and i've been out and you know i've weeded my vegetable garden this morning and it was like you would not believe you know we're real women Mm -hmm. we got dogs and pets and husbands and houses to look after she's got grandbabies i've got a son and we dress fancy but we don't put on airs (laughs) (laughs) i think that's kind of old school because we both grew up in a time where you never left a show, a Loretta Lynn show or a Kenny Rogers show or a Mel Tillis show without feeling like you really knew the person. Not, oh, what a great video they had playing behind them. Mm-hmm. What a great light show. And I always tell people they didn't need that. They, it was the power of personality yeah. and humility and humor and the connection and it's just a different, I'm not saying the artists don't connect, they're just connecting in a different way. But we grew up at a time when it was much more, it was kind of conversational, really. And it seems like you, you've been able to retain your, your life off stage. you know, like you're talking about, just the simple things. I think uh, a lot of artists today, they don't really have that because they get swept up. It's so business, business. And, you know, I'm sure... Back in the 90s, you know, you know the industry inside and out, the the ups and the downs, but it sounds like you're content in life. Everything you've said just sounds very content, which is very nice to hear. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that's not to say, you know, everybody's got their their stuff, but it is nice, you know, to uh, be grounded. And and, and, And by necessity, there are parts in your career where you don't get that. You can't, it's very hard to... To feel grounded because you're gone all the time and you pay uh you know you pay a team of people to to look after the rest of your life while you while you build your career and that's what it takes but it can be it can leave you feeling really spent uh at the end of a decade or two and so it is nice to cook your own meals and sometimes iron your husband's shirt you know because you can because you want to 
you know, see your family and hang out with your sisters. And uh, I miss so much family stuff in the early days. And I'm still very busy, but I, I have to have balance now. I have to. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Pam. I really appreciate it. And uh, you you surpassed my expectations. I was excited to be able to talk to you and so many great memories from those uh, 90s big country days. And it's so great to know that you are have stayed so busy and you're doing this tour with, uh, with the great Lori Morgan. Like I said, two queens of country on stage together. Fans are going to love the show, I'm sure. And we look forward to having you here in Bakersfield on uh, next week, March 18th. Yeah, no, it's coming up. I've been off for a month. Sometimes you take, you know, January off, but we worked all through January. So my year-end break wasn't December or January. I took February off. So I'm really raring to get back out there. Fantastic. Okay, well, you be safe on tour. And once again, thank you so much, Pam. It's an honor to speak to it's you. It's talking to you. Yeah, and we'll see you here in Bakersfield. Take care. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you and muchas gracias to the great Pam Tillis for being on Tunes. You can keep up with Pam's latest projects, tour dates, and more at pamtillis.com. A special shout out to our sponsor, the law offices of Chain Cone Clark. Visit chainlaw.com today. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Baco Tunes Podcast with Matt Munoz. New episodes every week. And for the latest, be sure to follow us at Baco Tunes on Instagram and Twitter. That's B-A-K-O-T-U-N-E-S. And be sure to like us, rate us, comment at us, and don't forget to subscribe. We'll be back next time. Hola! Ah, ah, ah.